Yud Gimel, Amar Cheshvan, Tavshinayin Vav, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Kobi Oz with his version of Chemdat Yamim that was composed by Rav Shlomo Karbach, whose yard site is this week, and we are commemorating it by uh, opening our edition this morning, the, today, today's edition of uh, the Israel Show with a Shlomo Karbach piece, and we'll have another one coming up a little later in the show. 
Another Kalbach tribute by an Israeli artist. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your day, your week. We are live, as we are every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern Time. Usually I would say 4 PM Israel Time, but no, no, not today. Today it's 3 PM Israel Time because Israel returned to normal time. On Motzei Shabbat, and there's a six-hour difference. So we're here uh, this week, I think, and next week. It's 3 o'clock Israel time. After that, we're back to the seven-hour difference, and so on and so forth. Although six hours is much better. I, I just, I like it more. I wish we could do more of that. But we can't, alas. Um, we have uh, two major issues today, and we uh, have lots of great music. So we'll do one more musical piece. And then we'll uh, get on with our with our two topics. One is um, we'll we're going to be uh, remembering the archaeologist Adam Zertal who passed away last week, and he is the person who discovered he revealed one of the most astounding archaeological relics discoveries. From the time of the Tanakh, and I will read to you some of what he wrote about his um, his explorations and what he believes he uncovered. We will post, it's all on the web, by the way, in English, and we'll post it for you after the show's over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel show. We will also discuss the whole topic of the Mufti of Jerusalem, the previous mufti, the, the the one from the 1920s, Hajjamin al-Husseini, who Prime Minister Netanyahu referred to last week in one of his um, speeches as being the person who gave Hitler the advice or the idea of exterminating the Jews rather than just um, removing them from Europe because he was afraid that they would then come to uh, to what was then Eretz Israel, Palestine. Um, I don't know if that's historically true, and uh, the truth is that Prime Minister Netanyahu walked that back a little bit, but we will tell you, we don't want to take away anything from the vileness of the Mufti of Yerushalayim, the Mufti being the chief Muslim cleric, and his vile hatred, his rabid anti-Semitism. Um, he... Uh, he lives on, even though he's been dead for quite a while, he, his, the seeds of hatred that he sowed live on today and have grown greater and greater. And we'll tell you also about what the current Mufti of Jerusalem said. Last night, I was watching it, an interview on Israeli television. It is unbelievable. That's all I can say. It's unbelievably sad, but it is unbelievable how, um, there's, there's a certain, ease of telling total lies, just ma- fabrication. And we know it, but um, sometimes it just hits you in the face. So we'll tell you a little bit about that. First we'll go to Udi Davidi with Min Ikolech. We also have a report just in about a possible um, it's an early report uh, near Marada Machpelah a stabbing um, we don't, we'll According to most reports here, the terrorist was shot, killed. Uh, we don't know the condition of the 
of the person who was stabbed, uh, according to first reports, he um, is an Israeli soldier. As the reports come in, we'll let you know. Here is Udi Davidi, Minikolech, Rachel Mevakal Banea was Rachel's yard site as well recently, a few days ago, and um, so we remember her.
אודי דוידי, מן אי קולך מבכי ועינייך מדמעה. New take on those ancient words from the Tanakh. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day, week, year, wherever, whatever. Um, so we told you that um, last week Adam Zertal passed away, and most people in Israel don't know who he is. Most people surely... outside of Israel, don't know who he was. He grew up in uh, a totally secular kibbutz Ein Shemer. He said of himself that for most of his life, he didn't believe that the, uh, the stories that were told in the Tanakh were true. He thought that they were myths, like so many secular people around the world, they're nice stories, they teach us lessons. And all that changed. In the late 70s and early 80s, Adam Zartal headed an expedition to dig near, or I should say at the foot, of Har Eval, which is near Shechem, in the Shemron. They found there a, a big pile of stones and they had to really dig very carefully. They did it for one month during every year for seven years. The area that they were digging had never been dug archaeologically, explored by archaeologists before. It was so out of the way that there wasn't even a road to get to the site. He writes that we broke through with our bare hands so that we could reach the site, site by jeep bringing in tools, food, and water. says that they discovered a large pile of stones almost 80 feet in diameter and 10 feet high. This mound was situated in the center of an elliptical area enclosed by a narrow stone wall and thousands of shards, little potter, pieces of pottery and, and bone and so forth were scattered inside the area. So now imagine... Try and imagine, you have no idea what this is. You see like this small mountain, if you will, small hill of stone. You have lots and lots of archaeological relics there that you can use to try and understand the timing, from what period of time this is and so forth. You break through the road and you start digging. Well, they classified the pottery, to have ways of dating pottery, And it led them to understand that they were looking at a site from the period of what they called the Israelite settlement. That's a time when the children of Israel, our ancestors, crossed over the Jordan River and entered the land of Israel led by Yehoshua, as we read in the Bible. Um, so, 
they thought maybe this was a small town. Maybe it was a farm. Maybe it was a, a tower, a fortified tower that you find many times in ancient cities that was on a high ground put there to secure the area. Well, he writes, the structure on Mount Eval was enigmatic from the outset. There was no, to this day, he writes, no architectural parallels to it have been found within Israel. And what they, when they started digging and removing all the layers and layers that had buried this structure, they found an elevated structure measuring 29.5 by 23 feet that rose in the center of this whole area. It was built as a frame structure, basically that there's walls and the inside is sort of empty. The walls were five feet thick, listen, made of large, rough, unhewn stones, meaning stones that weren't cut. And that's the first hint. That should be the first hint of what it is that they found. Inside there were empty spaces filled, quite deliberately he says, with four layers of fill. The fill consisted of ashes, dirt, stone. And within the ashes they found hundreds of animal bones, some of which had been burnt in a hearth. And most of the pottery shards that they found belonged to the same period of time of the entrance of the Bnei Yisrael led by Yehoshua into the land of Israel. So, they then found another structure that was built on underneath, meaning what they slowly started discovering was that there was a square and then on, on underneath it a larger square and underneath it a larger square. And they also found a ramp, also of uncut stones. The ramp was four feet wide and 23 feet long and it rises to the top of the platform from the southwest. And they also found another small narrow ramp a small ramp, which they couldn't understand, but which they later figured out the meaning of. Well, one day, as they were trying to understand what it was that they were looking at, what is this weird structure? Somebody remembered the Mishnah in Masechet Midot that talks about the Mizbeach in the Beit HaMikdash. It was 32 amot by 32 amot. It rose up one amah and receded one amah. That means there was a base. And then there was a smaller structure on top of a smaller structure, like a stepped structure. And the ramp at the south of the altar, 32 cubits by 16 cubits in width. And then there's a smaller ramp that the Mishnah, uh, that is discussed actually in Masechet Zvachim, that the Kohen would have to get to the Sovev, so he would go on this smaller ramp to get to that ledge. 
it fit it fit perfectly. The Mishnaic description of the altar, he writes, depicts a sort of graduated tower in which each successive level is somewhat smaller than the one below it. And so, they started believing they found a Mizbeach. Well, how would they continue to delve into this and to prove this? They decided that they should check out the bones. There were many, many bones. Ashes and animal bones, pottery vessels, and so forth. And so they took the bones that they discovered in their dig. Don't forget, the dig is, they've, they've understood now that this is from the time of the Jewish people entering the land of Israel, the times of Yehoshua, they believe they have found a Mizbeach. All indications are that, an ancient Mizbeach from the times of Yehoshua. The Mizbeach pretty much fits the description of a Mizbeach that we know from the Mishnah. It is made of uncut stone, stone that is not cut by metal. That was one of the rules of the Mizbeach. It has a ramp. One of the rules of the Mizbeach, no stairs, has to be a ramp. It's built with a similar structure of the Mizbeach. Well, then they sent the bones. Examining the bones in the laboratories of the Hebrew University's Department of Zoology took several months. And with rare exception of like one or two animals that it seems probably died at the site later on, 942 bones were examined they represented 50 to 100 different specimens. They were attributed to four kinds of animals. Goat, sheep, cattle, and fallow deer. The fallow deer, he writes, is a light-spotted animal which inhabited the woodlands of the land of Israel in antiquity. Examining the gender and age of the animal. This is amazing that modern science can do this. That the most modern techniques can show us about the roots of our most ancient days. Examining the gender and age of the animals revealed that all those that could be diagnosed were young males, approximately one year old, which correlates remarkably, he writes, with the laws of the sacrifices that we find in the book of Vayikra. A great part of the bones had been burnt over a fire and were cut near the joints. While being scorched in this way, it tests that the flesh was not intended for eating, and that's a korban ola, that isn't eaten. And he writes, thus the high correlation with the biblical laws of sacrifice, together with the great architectural resemblance to the Israelites' altars, to the Mizbeach, confirmed the view that we were dealing with an altar from the beginning of the Israelite settlement. Here is a man, takes a lot of guts, an archaeologist, well known, has a name, University of Haifa, is surrounded by secular archaeologists who, like him, believe that the Bible stories weren't really true and didn't really happen and blah, blah, blah. And as he digs, and as he digs, year after year after year, 
at this site on Har Eval, he comes to the conclusion that there's no other explanation, no other explanation, than that this is a Mizbeach, that it fits what we see in the, in the Mishnah, as far as how the Mizbeach is built, and the rules in the Torah of a Mizbeach, and the animal bones that were found there were typified to agree to the rules of the Karbanot that we find in the Torah. And what about where we found it? Well, we know that Shechem was an important place in our ancestry. It says that Avram passed through Shechem and he built a Mizbeach there. But most importantly, says uh, Adam Zartal, the archaeologist who passed away last week, he it was called to his attention that in Sefer Dvarim, Perak Chavzayin, it says, The day that you will cross the Jordan River, to the land that God has given to you, should put up two big stones and, and, and coat them and you write the Koldivrei Hatarazot, you write the Mishnah Torah, and so forth. And then it says in Pasuk, hey, Uvanita Sham Mizbeach Lahashem Elokecha, Mizbach Avanim Lotanif Alehem Barzel, you should build there. Right there. Yes, says Adam Zartal. Right on this spot, this Mizbeach that we are looking at, is the very same Mizbeach that Moshe commanded the Jewish people to build when they crossed over the Jordan River. Don't use any metal instrument to cut it, the stones. And those were the stones that they found. Only complete full stones. You should bring olot, which are totally burned, which they found. But you should also bring shlamim and eat them there and rejoice. And they found that too. They found remains of an area near the Mizbeach, which was clearly like a big area where people ate and they had remains of animals that weren't totally burnt. And in fact, in Sefer Yehoshua, Perekhet, we are told, Az Yivne Yehoshua, Mizbeach Lashem Eloke Yisrael Baharival. And at that point, when they crossed over the Jordan, Yehoshua built a Mizbeach on Harival. Kasher Tziva Moshe Evet Hashem et Bnei Yisrael, Kakatu Besefer Torat Moshe, just as Moshe commanded them, as we just read, Mizbach Avanim Shleimot Asher Lo Lehem Barzel, again, a Mizbeach of unhewn stones, Vayalu Alav Olot Lahashem Vayizbechu Shlamim. Why haven't too many people heard about it? Well, the secular archaeological world probably doesn't want you to hear about it. And the religious archaeological world doesn't exist so much, unfortunately. But um, it is an amazing story. And it is... It, it, it never ceases to shock me 
when I visit Israel and come across a stone that I know was there for the last 2,000 years from the second Bet HaMikdash times. But here are stones that were there from the times of Yehoshua. That is, that is quite another level. And it is quite amazing because we don't have that many relics of that era. Unfortunately, this area is very dangerous and hard to reach. And um, not too many people go there. But hopefully, at some point, the government of Israel will will allow tourists to go there and see how the origins of our place in the land of Israel can be shown to go back a long, long way, just as it says in the Torah. Alon Olarchik, Be'eretz Ahavati, in the land that I love. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Alonolarchik of Poogie fame, covering Be'eretz Ahavati. That's off of an album called Koloshel Halev, and it's all covers by Israeli artists of songs written by Leah Goldberg, the poet. And this is a, a well-known one and really beautifully redone by Alon Olarchik. Yesterday I discovered a song by Pugi. When I say Pugi, I don't mean Pugi the band. I mean Pugi the person. Pugi was the nick, is the nickname of Mayor Fenigstein, who was the drummer of Lahakat Kaveret, and somehow his name caught on as the nickname of the band. He lived in the United States for several decades. He would run the Israel Film Festival here. And then two years ago, he returned to Israel. And um, in honor of that, he wrote a song about Hawaii. The name of the song is Hawaii-o. And uh, I don't know how, why I never heard of it. I, I, I don't remember hearing it. Maybe I did. Anyway, we'll have it for you in an upcoming week. Just didn't find time for it this week, but we'll share it with you. Israel Show is sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh, providing Olim with uh, needs-based financial aid, employment resources. They help you cut through the government red tape. They've done away with so much of the government red tape, actually. They make each person's aliyah as successful as possible. Their charter flights are legendary, legendary. Go online. If you haven't seen it, go online to their website. We'll give you the address in a second and take a look at one of the arrival ceremonies. How amazing. That, that's, you know, sometimes I, when I see those scenes, I think, you know, in a way, that, that is what the prophets were prophesying. This is, this is the nivuot coming true. The Jews returning on the wings of a big eagle that's coming through the sky. They land, they kiss the ground. There are hundreds and hundreds of Jews that are already there cheering them and singing and welcoming them and blowing the shofar. It's biblical. It's, it's really biblical. They are now touring the United States and it is worthwhile to go to uh, one of their events when they're in your area to see what they offer, even if you're not planning to make Aliyah tomorrow. It should be something in your plans at one point in your life. Take a look at their website to see all the details. NBN, Nefesh Benefesh, NBN.org.il, NBN.org.il. The Israel Show is proud to be sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. We, uh, we've been promising over the last few weeks to cover something, and we just never got to it because so much is happening in Israel, we just don't find the time. But we're going to get to it uh, this week, and really, the, the events dictated this. Um, last week, Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke about the Mufti, and the Mufti is a um, title given to sort of like the chief, the chief. Uh, religious person of the Islamic faith in Yerushalayim who's in charge of, by the way, the Temple Mount the Waqf Netanyahu spoke about the Mufti Haj Amin al-Husseini and as we mentioned earlier he probably went a little far but not, not too far 
because Khadja Min al-Husseini was a vile, evil, anti-Semite. He was a ally of the Nazis. He spent a good part of World War II being protected by the Nazis in Europe. It is well known that he met with Hitler and encouraged him. But there's more to the Mufti than that. And um, most of the information that I'm going to share with you comes from a book written several years ago by Nadav Shragai, originally in Hebrew, it was translated into English, and it is now available both in Hebrew and in English for free for you to download it as a PDF, and I will um, load up the uh, links on our Facebook page later on today and uh, hopefully you'll download the free it's totally free you have nothing to lose and you can skim through it or you can you don't have to download it you could also uh, read it on the website with links and um, even if you just skim through it and get an idea and it, the book is called The Al-Aqsa is in Danger Libel The History of a Lie remember if you will that this uh, current round, if you will, current round of violence, as they call it, supposedly is all because the Arabs are convinced, the Muslims are convinced that the Israelis are going to change the status quo on the Temple Mount. We've spoken about this numerous times since 1967 when we returned to Yerushalayim and we liberated the Temple Mount. We believe in the most insane move, one of the most insane moves in Jewish history. There have been many. Defense Minister Moshe Dayan, a few days after the war, gave the Muslim waqf, the trust that runs the Temple Mount, he gave them the keys and said, it's yours, you run it. We're going to take the Kotel down there. That's our holy site. You have control up here, it's our sovereignty we can have police but Jews will not pray on the Temple Mount but they can visit, and that was an unwritten agreement it could be said about it that is in place since 1967 now, every time the Arabs want to rile up violence, every time the leadership wants to get the grassroots people in the street to violence, to kill Jews, they concoct a story, and they say, Al-Aqsa is in danger, we must protect Al-Aqsa, Muslims rally around Al-Aqsa, kill the Jews, kill the Jews. That's the way it's happening now, that's the way it happened in 2001, until this very day, people claim, that the Intifada, the second Intifada, I hate using that word, began when Ariel Sharon went on the Temple Mount. We know that's not true. We just know that's not true. We know that Yasser Arafat had planned it before. But again, he used this libel. The Jews are going to take over the Temple Mount to start that intifada. Well, this libel, this excuse, which uh, amazingly 
Not only does the world fall for this nonsense, the Israelis fall for, oh, well, we, you know, the Jews, we're inciting them, we're provoking them, we shouldn't go to the Temple Mount. It's, it's so nonsense. It's just nonsense. Because this is a libel which goes back a long time, before the State of Israel began. So what is the libel? You know, in previous centuries, the lie was, the Jews used blood of Christian children to bake matzah. From that we have the blood libel. We knew, with absolute certainty, that it was a total lie. Did it make a difference? No. The Christians wanted to believe it, and they did, and Jews were killed. Many, many, many Jews were killed because of the blood libels of the Christians in Europe. Well, in modern times, we have this Muslim blood libel. And it's as strong, it's actually probably stronger than the blood libels of Europe. The Muslim world is convinced, they totally believe the lie. And I don't think there's anything we can do to convince them otherwise. No fact will convince them otherwise. But at least we should know the facts. The libel is, Al-Aqsa is in danger. It says that the state of Israel, or the Jewish people, before the state it was the Jews, the Zionists, is working to achieve the collapse of the Temple Mount mosques, and then the Jews will build the third temple there. Well, we pray for that every day, do we not? You might think the lie started in 67. You might think it started in 48. Well, no, neither. It was fabricated during the 1920s and the 30s, and it gained strength in recent years. But it goes back that far, the 1920s and the 1930s. At that point, the Jews couldn't even go into the Temple Mount. The Jews in the 1920s and 30s and the 40s until the State of Israel was founded davened only at the Kotel because the Muslims wouldn't let them get anywhere near Har Habayit. The Kotel at that time was a tiny little narrow alleyway. I'm sure many of you have seen pictures of it. There was no mechitza. There were no benches. So in September 1928, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time. When a machitza was put up at the Kotel and benches for sitting were brought to the plaza, plaza, to the little area, the Mufti, Hajjamin al Husseini, pronounced that the Jews are taking over the holy places of Islam. Do you understand that? The Jews davening at the Kotel, which was barely a tiny little lane, thoroughfare, where a street where they walked with their donkeys. They put a mechitza and a bench, and the Arabs decided that the Jews are taking over the Temple Mount. Didn't matter. In those days, the Jews, I guess in these days too, put out a statement saying it's not true. We only want to pray at the Western Wall in peace, with respect, without restrictions. We have no desires to infringe on the rights of the Muslims of their holy places. 
the Zionist um, leadership in Israel, the National Committee, put out a statement then, calling this what it was, a libel. The aim of this libel is to sow tumult and confusion in hearts and arouse animosity and conflict. 1928. Well, it didn't really, didn't really help. And the Arabs actually made it more difficult to daven at the Kotel at the time. Because the homes that were up against the Kotel right nearby, they convinced the homeowners to throw their refuse, to open their sewer pipes to, to flow near the Kotel. Beginning in August of 1929, the Arabs attacked Jews who came to pray at the Kotel. And on the night of Tisha B'Av, August 15, 1929, thousands of Jews marched to the Western Wall to Davin, to the Kotel. Oh, the Arabs didn't like that because it was clear to them that the Jews are going to take over the Temple Mount and build the, the Bet HaMikdash. And they incited and incited and kept at it. And the Mufti continued to do this, and we all know the results were the 1929 riots after Tisha B'Av, where hundreds of Jews were massacred in Tzfat and in Hebron and in other parts of Israel. And this just continues. Nothing is new. Ein kol chadash tachat Do not believe any news report that says lines like, oh, the current round of violence uh, began when uh, the Arabs were concerned about the Jewish uh, Jews changing the status quo on the Temple Mount. And this is because um, Minister uh, Ariel, the uh, agricultural minister, um, ascended onto the Mount um, a few weeks ago. It's just, it's just nonsense. They're buying into the blood libel. And I'll share with you one last thing as we, uh, you know what, we'll go to a song and then we'll share with you one last thing. Um, this is um, Omer Adam with Yosef Kardiner's classic Shir Lama'alot. Interesting version and adaptation of that song. My name is Mayor Wangart and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yad Yemineha 
interesting um, version of the famous Shir HaMalot written by Yosef Kardiner. We were talking about the lies that the Muslim world is spreading about the blood libel. Let's call it what it is, the blood libel that the Muslim world is spreading about the Jews and the Temple Mount. And part, by the way, of this um, escalation is I'll put it this way. Historically, looking back in time, and it's it's documented in this um, book that I will post a link for you to download. Going back generations, Jerusalem wasn't so important to Islam. In fact, the Temple Mount wasn't so important to Islam. In the 1920s, when the Mufti wanted to use it to create this blood libel, he wanted to use the Temple Mount as a bulwark against Zionism and against Jews, he had to refurbish the whole thing because it was in such disrepair. The Temple Mount became more and more important to the Muslims 
just as the Jews started coming. And the closer the Jews got, the more the Muslims declared that it's all theirs. And in 1967, when we liberated it, even though in an unprecedented move, the victor allowed the enemy to retain control of the site that is holy to both, the Arabs see our weakness and continue to claim full ownership of Harabayit to the extent that by the time the Camp David, the second Camp David meeting negotiations took place between Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat with Bill Clinton as mediator, Arafat said clearly there were never any Jewish temples on the Temple Mount. They were somewhere else. There were temples, yes, I agree. They were somewhere else. And Bill Clinton, I guess, read him the right act because Christians also believe that the Temple Mount is where the Jewish temples were, according to the Christian Bible, Jesus went to the Temple Mount as he was a practicing Jew. And he went to the Temple. But the Arabs continue. And they just lie. And everybody believes it. And facts don't matter. Last night, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, the Muslim cleric in charge of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Temple Mount, said that there was never a Jewish temple atop the Temple Mount. And the site has been home to a mosque. You ready for this? Since the creation of the world. I saw this interview. It was on Israeli television with subtitles. And the Israeli reporter in Arabic was asking him, are you saying, in fact, are you denying the fact that there was a Jewish temple ever on the Temple Mount? There was never a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount, he says. He says that the site is three. Th- the mosque is three thousand years ago, three thousand years old. It has been there, and it was even there thirty thousand years ago, and it's been there since the creation of the world. It just let's take all of reality and throw it into the garbage can, and and billions of people believe it. What's amazing is that the Waqf, the Supreme Muslim Council, of which the Mufti is a part, we have a guidebook that they published in 1935. I'm holding in my hands a cover page. A brief guide to Al-Haram Al-Sharif, Jerusalem. That's what they call the Temple Mount. It has here the price of entry. This was given to tourists. Sacred enclosure will be normally open to visitors, 7.30 a.m., and so forth. And it says... They write this. The Waqf, the Muslims, write this in 1935. Because the the blood libel was just beginning, and they didn't dream of just making up new facts then. Now they see they can do that and get away with it. So this is what they write in their guide. Quote, its sanctity, that of the Temple Mount, dates from the earliest times. Its identity with the site of Solomon's temple is beyond dispute. This too is the spot, according to the universal belief, on which David built 
an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then it continues, but for the purposes of this guide, which confines itself to the Muslim period, the starting point is 637 AD, which is when Omar built it and so forth. Okay. Their own guidebook, but they don't care. No, you'll ask them about that. You know what they say? Oh, that was a mistake. They, they wrote that, but that was a mistake. They, they didn't understand. They didn't realize that they were making an error. Ladies and gentlemen, we are up against, um, we know that we're up against a vicious enemy, a hateful enemy, a vile enemy. We're up against an enemy for which, for whom facts don't matter. You can prove it a hundred thousand ways. They don't care. We have to think about what we do. How do we fight an enemy with whom which you cannot reason? They have worked so hard to obliterate any connection of the Jewish people to Yerushalayim in general and to Harabayit in particular. They've destroyed archaeological finds that tie the Harabayit to the Jewish people. They've destroyed them. And unfortunately, we have continually shown weakness in this area. We'll end off with another tribute to Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, Shalva Shomer Yisrael, off of the album Shalva Ba'armonotayach. It's Karniel Dad, and that album is uh, covers of songs by Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, and we'll do that Right after we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. We will be posting on Facebook today a lot of stuff, including the free book that you can download and all the information about the Mizbeach that was uncovered by the late Adam Zartal. There's a link to an English website which uh, in which he writes all the di- information about the discovery. Um, please do go to facebook.com slash the Israel Show, like the page, and get all the updates. My thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, encore presentations of Eternal Flame with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, followed by Headlines with David Lichtenstein, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following JM and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
Je <laughs> 